listening to a podcast called Fred, a creation of the Common Ground community of the Banyal Uniting Church, as we wrestle together with life, faith and how we understand God in our lives. Join us as we attempt to find common ground. Hello everyone and welcome to this uh, podcast or vodcast of the uh, series in the season of Lent. I'll take the opportunity to welcome you. My name is Paul Blacker. I'm a member of the ministry team of the Banyal Network of Uniting Churches. I will invite Paul and Thanks, Paul. I'm Paul Minty. Uh, I'm a member of the Common Ground uh, worshipping community within the Banyal uh, Network. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the chance to uh, chat with you guys about uh, the readings the first week of Lent. Interesting readings. Well, it's the season of Lent. Now, maybe I'm being a bit unorthodox, or maybe I'm being true. But for me, Lent is a time to concentrate on discipleship on our following of Jesus, rather than the focus just being on doing without or self-deprivation. I remember Lent is a, a time of preparation for baptism and that the, it was in the early church the final six weeks of a two-year process leading to baptism on Easter Day. So it is appropriate that we, in this season of Lent, uh, be about renewal and reaffirmation of baptism, focusing our following on Jesus. Lent is framed by what is described in the Gospel reading for today. It's a duration of 40 days, including six Sundays. And it does include fasting. I understand it's one of the disciplines one would use to reduce distraction. Luke 4, 1-13, The Temptation of Jesus Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. It, it, it's interesting. I, I wanted to... What struck me about this 
is that the key to the passage in my initial reading of it is what takes place before this text. So it's preceded by the baptism of Jesus. Um, and then thrown in the middle is the genealogy, which, wonderful genealogy. You read, you know, I, I found myself reading through it and saying, oh, I recognise that name, and going through, and Jesse, son of Obed, oh, sort of, I should have said David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, and so it went on, until it got to uh, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. I was really taken by that. But really, it's, it's what happens in the baptism that I think is the key. It's the voice you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. I, I just have this sense of Jesus being uh, surprised and shocked, and so he goes off grid. Yeah, so I, I sort of see that voice from heaven. I think in, in Luke, there is an alternative kingdom being proclaimed. Any person when hearing that they are the subject of divine favor actually it goes further than divine favor it says you are in a filial relationship with the divine one um, the the normal images examples are of powerful heroic people if we think of all our leaders and and so on but this is someone uh, jumping ahead a little bit, but this is someone who was crucified, who underwent the most shameful execution, an execution that robs people of their humanity, and this is the Son of God. So I had this sense of a time in the in the wilderness, in the desert, or out back, of Jesus shedding all those images of power and privilege and entitlement. It sounds like this is about being journeyed into our full humanity. Man does not live by, or a person does not live by bread alone, is that there's more to being human than the pleasure of, uh, of being nourished. So the first temptation is to uh, not live by bread alone, so sort of a, a feeding, a sustenance, um, even not to worry about um, your existence every day. If we continue this line of um, uh, invitation to be f fully human or temptation to, to be uh, less than fully human, then the second temptation, uh, what is it? It's to... Worship popularity, good regard. So that second temptation I find really tempting myself, uh, this idea of having glory and authority. Uh, yeah, well, that'd be nice. I'd think of all the good things I could do with that. Yeah, they're, they're good thoughts. Um, and I like mulling that over. It's not natural for me to be mulling over such such things in my normal working life. The idea of what I'd call, you know, what the, what we call a supernatural kind of aspect to it. Um, so it's really refreshing to come back and be reminded of that, and um, try and think through 
Um, but it strikes me how tempting these temptations are uh, because if Jesus wants to be effective in serving God, being involved in transforming the world, uh, these two things that are offered to him uh, would help him do that. Influence in all the nations and then no risk to yourself. I mean, if I was a reformer wanting to change the world and you said I would have influence all over the globe and I couldn't get hurt when I tried to do it, I'd say, you're beauty. I can now uh, unroll a, a huge campaign of, of you know, making the world a better place. Um, so the temptation is not necessarily come and do evil because it's fun. The temptation is you, you can achieve what you're here to achieve, but in order to do so, first you have to be loyal uh, to the devil um, and that's really interesting I'm, I'm a privileged kind of person so I've experienced these moments when powerful people have asked me to be loyal to them and uh, in, if I am loyal to them then my own competency and stuff isn't so much of a question you know it's it's an easy way to, to get ahead in the working world is um, simply to be loyal rather than to be actually good at my job and uh, it's it's all, it's always attractive because uh, being on the grind of having to prove yourself and work hard and and perhaps um, failing and, and having to move on um, that's that's a hard work in life. Uh, so the idea is I just have to toe the line and I'll be right. Um, that's always very tempting. So yeah, so these temptations um, remind me of those own moments in my own life. Yeah. It it sounds a little bit like. The, um, the issue of, of reform, can you reform from outside or from inside? So sometimes we're sort of um, compromised in order to, to be on the inside and caught up in the politics of... Absolutely. And I think institutionally, it's a real challenge for us as well, collectively. Um, it's a real challenge for us because um, we are lucky that we're respected in Australian society. We're lucky that we can start um, agencies that do undoubtedly great things. Um, but the price for that is always that we have to work within the laws, the constitution, etc. And I think if we're going to be true to God's mission, we always have to at least reserve the right of a bit of civil dis disobedience. Maybe sometimes uh, we'll be called to step outside of that system and we'll, we'll lose some of the access and some of the status and, uh, uh, and some of the mechanisms that we are using for good in order to do so. Um, and that's, that's a tough one for all of us to collectively to keep wrestling with. Paul, you also touched on I can do this without getting hurt, without any risk to myself. That sounds like the third temptation um, is being addressed. Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up. And Jesus' response is, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Yeah, and... Uh, and, and that puzzles me, um, the phrasing. I, I like it. On, on, you read it to me and I say, yeah, that's a really nice response. And then the more I think about it, I think, oh, what does that mean? Is, it that, is that just specific to Jesus? Is that something that can possibly apply to me? What do I learn from that? Yeah. I actually was thinking in terms of if we think that uh, being a disciple costs us nothing. I mean, what I read in, in this is that being Jesus coming to that understanding that to be the, the, the son of God 
with you I am well pleased, is not safe. Now, as I said earlier, it's, it's really struck me that um, uh, Jesus, that a sense that Jesus is shedding the usual imperial understandings of divine favour. Being son of God, in you I am well pleased that he will not be in power or authority where he can just order creation about. He's not having dominion over it. He's not in the polls of popularity. He's not elected. Stay on the right side of people to maintain office or status. And he's not entitled or privileged by this role, which is so opposite to the emperors and their sons. Yeah, and a real challenge for us if we want to... um affect change. Uh, We're lucky we live in a democracy. We can peacefully engage in politics and power and and make change. But it's always tempting to just have that little bit extra power and inside running to make a few changes, despite what other people might want or think. And uh, regardless of, you know, there's always losers with change. We always want to do change uh, for overall benefit, but probably there's someone always going to lose out and it'd be nice to... uh, indulge ourselves and run roughshod over that. So I think it's a really good reminder that um, even though uh, God has a mission to change the world, it's a mission that isn't to be done riding roughshod. It's not a mission to be done with no personal cost. There's this um, inherent nonviolence, gentleness, patience um, that has to be part of that. Even though it's such an urgent change that's needed, there's so many people who need... Uh, more love and compassion and grace um, straight away, um, if only to put food on the table tonight. And and yet there's this also need to balance that with going a little bit slower, um, going a little bit more gently and, uh, yeah, avoiding this this sort of um, commanding the world to do what you want just straight away. And we're lucky we're we're three white guys who um, often get away with um, a lot of stuff so, um, yeah, people who are genuinely um, affected by oppression in the world should be telling us what the what the correct pacing of the timetable um, is for these kind of things. Um, but it is a reminder to me personally that they brought up to take charge, take control, use that privilege. Um, the temptation for me is to use that privilege to better the world. But that's always my idea of how the world should be better. And, yeah. I could do a lot more harm than I that I do good, so that's the message that I personally would take um, from this kind of passage. I, I wouldn't usually allow people to get away with calling me a white guy, uh, Paul. Sure. <laughs> no, fair enough. Call me out. Yep. <laughs> hey, look, um, the, the the Old Testament reading. I think if we just uh, look at that, um, Deuteronomy twenty six verses one to eleven. Paul, how about uh, you read that to us? Great. This is Deuteronomy 26, verses 1 to 11. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. 
When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labour on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God, and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. Origin story, it's about who they are, and who's there, and who's there. What are your comments, Paul? I'm struck by the parallels to Australian experience. Uh, we often struggle with um, sharing with a resident alien, for, for example. So this is a challenge to us about how maybe we um, live in this place and, you know, the history of um, terrible displacement, the criminal aspect of taking over this land um, that we're all still trying to work through. So there's some parallels and contrasts that I think are particularly Australia, um, particularly challenging uh, for an Australian audience. Our colonial history, uh, appropriate guilt, makes this uncomfortable. It's an interesting reading that Israel is, in this reading, Israel is east of the Jordan. They still haven't entered the land and they're invited to imagine being in the land it's not that they do this once but this is the character of how they will live in the land and so it is interesting that result of this ritual is a feast is a party that includes all the residents whether they are israel or uh, or not that it is an inclusive inclusive feast i thought also I was hearing in it that it's really, they're being given a ritual by which Israel remembers that the land is a gift. It was not something that uh, is an entitlement, but it was by the arm of God that they were given this. And so the appropriate response is thankfulness and gratitude and inclusion. Yeah, and it's hard to run a, an effective kingdom or empire on this kind of basis so in the first temptation that we just saw you know the offer was you know to get in on the on the power structures of kingdoms and empires but the the basis for those kingdoms and empires is called into question by this this um, passage um, this ritual that they're expected to do this culture that's reflected in this kind of passage so yeah it really emphasizes um, how that first temptation is it undercuts the sort of uh, the morality of that that first temptation. You know, it's almost a plausible temptation to make a a generous offer, but if you don't accept that those kingdoms and principalities should even exist, then um, yeah, that first temptation's um, almost an insult. 
and it calls out uh, four groups that are left out of the the clan economic kind of activity particularly the the resident aliens is is quite a challenge for us because it challenges even our modern conceptions of what a nation is you know a nation and an economy should be the same thing a citizen should be a productive unit so this just accepts that there will be resident aliens and and they should be fed and they should be you know included in these things um so a whole bunch of our assumptions about um, who belongs, who participates in power, who participates in our economic systems, all that is just quite neatly undercut uh, just just by that concept of a resident alien being fed. So, Paul, I'm often frustrated with lectionary readings that they seem to be picked at random and I've no idea how they relate to each other and they just sort of handed down and said, oh, these, here's the two readings, read both of them. And I go, well, why these two? They're just, they don't make any sense. Um, so I quite like these two because they do tend to interact a lot and I'm afraid I'm, then I'm too cynical the other way and I'm thinking, who who went out of their way to pick these two so they're so neatly sort of talk to each other? Is something going on? Is someone just sort of trying to make a subtle point uh, by proof texting out and grabbing something at random that happened to line up? It is interesting. The, um, the lectionary at different times of the, the calendar does different things in the... Uh, seasons so in Lent it it uh, is uh, much more the the event so it, it tends to have the other readings uh, relating to the gospel but at other times in the ordinary time of the year it, it will actually track through a particular um, letter gospel and it'll do that sequentially so you get a chance to really dwell with what's going on here what is being heard why does it need to to be heard but when we come to Lent we jump around all over the place to some extent we were taught that behind Deuteronomy and you know those first five books of the Old Testament was the exile and Israel's experience of exile and the big question was how did this happen? One of the answers given fairly consistently is that because you did not do as the Lord commanded, you were unfaithful. So this particular passage is really important as an origin uh, story, saying this is who you were supposed to be. This is the sort of generous, th thankful, inclusive community. But you didn't do it. That's where... That's as an explanation. Now, I actually realise that we could apply the same question to Jesus' community. How did this happen? And I guess that's the crucifixion. And how does the story of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness answer that question? How did this happen? I'm quite happy to leave it just at that question. So my wind up here and so i'll say thank you paul and thank you to for listening in to us we hope you have been given food for thought and nourishment for the journey of discipleship and we look forward to you joining us in the subsequent uh, session thank you You've been listening to a podcast called Fred. 
If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe on whatever platform you use, rate us and invite your friends to join us. You'll also find us on Facebook by searching Common Ground Heidelberg. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you.